0: For Thursday, April 23rd, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, in many instances, the coronavirus pandemic has kept disability rights advocates cut off from their clients. That has them worried about the safety of those in state hospitals and nursing homes.
1: I guess all of our biggest fear is when this is over, we're going to find bodies. And we don't really know how to track people until we go roster by roster and say who became ill and what happened to them.
0: Devin Orland, legal director for the Georgia Advocacy Office, joins me for more on what COVID-19 has meant for people with disabilities in the state. That's next. You love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at AmerisBank.com freechecking free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org.
0: Earlier this month, Georgia's Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities announced that dozens of staff and patients at Central State Hospital in Milledgeville had tested positive for COVID-19. The agency says two staff members working at that hospital have died. It's one of five hospitals the agency operates across the state, serving people with mental illness and intellectual and developmental disabilities. The facilities have been under a de facto lockdown since the early days of the pandemic. Non-essential movement of patients and staff has been stopped. Visitation has stopped too. And even the Georgia Advocacy Office, the federally mandated nonprofit advocacy organization for people with disabilities in Georgia, can't get in. That's just some of what I'll talk about with Devin Orland, the organization's legal director, who joins me now. Devin, thanks for talking with me.
1: Well, Thanks for talking to me.
0: So walk me through what access really has been like for y'all as of late to DBHDD facilities and maybe contrast that with the kind of access y'all have in in non-pandemic times.
1: Normally, we can go to any state hospital and ask to get in and we can get in and we can walk freely throughout the facility and talk to people and talk to staff and ask for documents, and really see how people are living in those environments. Now we can't get in because not only would it be a risk to us, but it potentially could be a risk to the folks that are already there if we were to expose the facility to to the virus.
0: What have you been seeing and hearing from folks who are maybe in state hospitals with regards to... COVID-19. I mean, we certainly have these cases reported in Milledgeville. Are y'all seeing that and hearing that in other facilities?
1: Generally, in the state's hospitals, we're hearing of the virus uh, impacting, I think, Georgia Regional, Atlanta, and then Central State. I don't believe there are active cases in the other facilities, or at least we haven't heard of them. We are able to call in and talk to people. And when we do call in and talk to people, we ask lots of questions. And try to find out what is going on within the facilities. And sometimes they're able to answer the questions and sometimes they're not. But generally that's what our access to the folks we stand beside is limited to. The interesting part is generally the folks inside the facility don't necessarily know what's going on in in the outside world because they're really isolated. So they don't necessarily realize that the whole world's on lockdown. It's not just them that can't eat in a congregate setting. It's not just them that can't access group activities. It's not just them that aren't getting therapeutic interventions. It's the whole world shut down. The really tragic part is um, that it does delay people's ability to access care, and it does delay their ability to get back out and begin living their lives again. So that part is really pretty unfortunate. There's a lot of unfortunate things going on, but that's one of the many.
0: What other kinds of services are people not really getting access to these days in this effort to maybe fight the spread of the coronavirus in in state hospitals?
1: Well, it's not really just limited to people within an institution, right? People don't have access to therapeutic interventions. They don't have access to exercise. They don't have access to activities that help them calm and live meaningful lives. So just like some people need to go for a run to feel good, um, people in and outside of institutions need exercise or need human contact or need the ability to interact with people that they love. And those things are being limited. So somebody who experiences a psychiatric disability could be greater impacted by the inability to have human interaction or access to things that help them stay well.
0: In the early days of this pandemic, uh, Governor Kemp restricted access, visitor access to DBHDD facilities. Talk to me about the the impacts really of of that, of, of family members not being able to come in and visit.
1: If you think about the human condition, we all do better if we stay connected to the people we love. But the other piece of that is when people are set aside and are set aside from society for any period of time, the potential for abuse and neglect is greater because nobody's really able to see what's going on. I'm not suggesting that anything is necessarily going on inside institutions, but We're going off of a lot of trust, which generally doesn't bode well. And that's true in the state's nursing facilities, too. If somebody doesn't have somebody in their lives who can call and check on them, if they were to become ill and unfortunately pass away, nobody would know whether that death was preventable. And there's very little to do to go around that to make sure that that's not happening
0: people might not realize that visitation by a family member is its own kind of oversight.
1: That's right. People, I mean, they've done study after study of who gets cared for in in any type of setting and people who are loved and cherished and the people around them that are caring for them that know that they're loved and cherished, see them as people and not part of their job. And the more that People understand that they have lives and people who care about them that elevates them in the eyes of the caretaker. I mean, it really does go back down to the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If there's some family member that's calling in saying, my loved one has a fever, what are you doing? I hear them not breathing well, what's going on? It's more likely to result in care.
0: The GAO also works with patients in in nursing homes. What have you been kind of seeing and hearing in in those spaces? Those Those are also spaces that potentially have individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities.
1: Any congregate living setting where people are residing, so whether it's group homes or nursing facilities or skilled nursing facilities or institutions of any kind, right now access is limited. You also have the situation where staff are getting sick, that staff are having to care for their children at home and aren't coming to work. So you have the compounded situation of people living in congregate settings where we know they're more likely to be subjected to abuse and neglect. We have the inability to monitor those places because all the organizations that do that can't get in. So... While, again, you'd like to believe that people are doing everything they can, people are at risk just by being in those facilities because, as we know, the virus is quite contagious and they're in close quarters, um, and many of them are at risk or the higher-risk populations. So um, a lot of families having to step in in the group home settings, but in the nursing facilities, the families can't step in. So, or what happens when somebody doesn't have family to ask about the person? When we all emerge, there's going to have to be some forensic identification of people because they're going to get transported out of nursing facilities to hospitals and perhaps discharged to someplace else. And unless they have some family who is tracking where they are, people are going to get lost.
0: Have there been any silver linings here uh, thinking about new services being offered to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, maybe offered in, in, in a different way? Has anything positive come out of this?
1: I think if there's a silver lining, I think that globally people are realizing that congregate settings perhaps is not the safest place for people to live. I think Everybody sort of always recognizes that perhaps it's not ideal, but the home and community based services rules relating to people with disabilities living in the community, I think are becoming more and more important as we realize that people in congregate settings are more subject to illness and are more subject to abuse and neglect. And I think that if there is a silver lining, there's a greater acknowledgement of that.
0: You advocate for people in state hospitals, also in nursing homes, but you also work with people who are receiving care in their homes. How has this pandemic changed things for them?
1: I think they experience the same type of problems that place else is experiencing. The difference being that they are in the community and there is an operational service that knows where they are and what they're doing. So if they're in a group home with four people, And they have a service provider, there are layers of oversight to ensure that people are coming to work and being taken care of that probably don't exist in a larger nursing facility. The other thing that I think people are experiencing that I don't want to forget is that oftentimes children go to school and receive supports and services through the school system, and now those children are home. And while technically the school system should continue to provide those services, they're not. So if a child has is in a school setting for eight hours and gets nursing support while in school to gain access to their education, when they're not in the school building, they're now at home. And so there's no provision for providing that service for that eight hours that would have otherwise been provided in the school setting. So that's the other sort of problem that we're seeing.
0: The people you work with are the most vulnerable among us in in many cases. Was the state prepared for a pandemic like this and, and really keeping these individuals safe?
1: I mean, let's be realistic. Nobody was prepared for a pandemic like this. Were we as prepared as we could have been? I would say no. I think that there were already cracks and fissures in the home and community based system in Georgia and already, um, pretty significant deficiencies in uh, providers availability and availability of staff and services already within the state. I mean, we're certainly not ranked well within the country with our depth of services here. And I think this pandemic just highlighted the existing problems.
0: Before this pandemic struck, we saw pretty hard conversations happening at the state capitol about the state budget. Now, Georgia's Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities, I think only after the State Department of Corrections was subject to seeing the the greatest number of cuts. Even when we we get out of this pandemic, that seems like a conversation that is is gonna be waiting for us on the other side. What do you what do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean the legislature had passed the mid-year budget, I believe, went before the pandemic hit, and they had restored many of the cuts to DBHDD, but the cuts for the following fiscal year were deep and they were hard, hard-hitting for the people that experience disabilities and the most vulnerable populations in this state. I would hope that the legislature would continue to view that as unreasonable and look for cuts elsewhere because people's lives are really going to be at risk if if what DBHDD is asked to do is to cut more significantly what a budget that is already tight.
0: Once access is kind of opened up, what do you think that time looks like for, for your organization?
1: I think right now we're spending, like I said, a lot of time talking to uh, providers trying to find out what what is going on within the various pockets where people land. Um, and we've got sort of a a punch list of where we're going into first and what we're going to do when we get there. But the first and foremost thing is going to be where are people? Are they okay? Are they getting the treatment they need? And our priorities are around keeping people alive and safe. Uh, I mean, I guess all of our biggest fear is when this is over, we're going to find bodies, and we don't really know how to track people until we go roster by roster and say, who became ill, where did they go, and what happened to them?
0: Devin Orland is legal director for the Georgia Advocacy Office. In a statement, Georgia's Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities says each hospital it operates has an emergency preparedness plan that was the starting point for their COVID-19 response. The agency says the health and safety of their staff and the people they serve remains their highest priority. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org coronavirus. If you haven't recently, here's your reminder to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.